0: This morning we want to speak on the 6th of the 7th letter that Jesus wrote to the churches. And uh, this is to the church in Philadelphia. And uh, we're going to find that this letter is a little different than some of the others. And uh, because it's one, uh, one of two letters that Jesus has no rebuke of the church. He finds them doing and living a life that is not perfect by any means because who can live a perfect life, but yet God is pleased with them. And actually, I think what's interesting in this letter is we're going to find that that Jesus is pulling for the underdog here a little bit. Uh, This church is in the battle, and it is weakened a little bit. And it's in the battle of a big dog fight, but yet, it's the underdog. And even, even in its weakened state, Jesus is the defender. In fact, that's exactly when he is the defender, is when we are weak. When we are strong in our own self or in our own minds, we limit Jesus' ability to be our defender because we're taking that role. But yet, when we're small, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're oppressed... That's exactly the time that Jesus steps in and says, Hey, I'm for you. I'm for you. Therefore, who can be against you? Amen? We sang about that. This church has done some things that are pleasing to God in the process of the fight that they've been in, but yet with the little strength left of their own, Jesus comes and He is their aid and He is their defender. And even against those that declare themselves as righteous, as we're going to see There there were those that claimed to be Jews, but yet were of the synagogue of Satan. And yet Jesus stood for the small church. He stood for the weak church. He stood for the church of Philadelphia because they were faithful to him. They They did not deny his name. And so therefore, we can be encouraged by this letter in our attempt to live a godly life. Because we go through some hard times. We go through some persecution. We go through some misunderstandings. And Jesus says, if you let me be your strength, I will be. I will take care of the problems for you. And we're going to see how he will step up and be the justice maker. Not me. He will be the justice maker if I'm patient and if I'm enduring. Let's read the letter. It's in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. You can open your Bible or you can read it on the screen or you can look at the paper that you've been handed. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so faithful and that you are so dependable and that you are never, ever changing. We thank you for this letter that Jesus wrote. And Lord, now I pray that you give us hearts and minds to discern what you have for us to today, that we would understand the original intent to the best that we can of John, the revelator, of what he was given to, to present to that church, and how we can apply it today in our lives and in our church. We ask for your mercy and your grace, and we give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The address to the church is to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. That angel, as we've... Uh, as Consistently in all the churches is the angel, the leadership, and who is to share to the body. So this letter is to all of them, to all of us. All right? That's consistent. What was the city of Philadelphia like? Let's talk about the city a little bit. Let's get the, the background. The city was built by a Greek king named Attalus, and he was nicknamed Philadelphus, Philadelphos. Hence, the name Philadelphia was derived from that. We're going to get more into the name, meaning of the name in a minute. The city itself was the youngest of all the seven cities, and it was an established outpost, if you will, for spreading Hellenism, which is the Greek culture or the religion of the Greek, ancient Greek world. So they were specifically, uh, that city was specifically um, founded by this Greek king so that it could be an outpost for evangelism, not for Christ, but for the Greek culture. And we're going to see that is important in a few minutes. Economically, Philadelphia was a prosperous city. She was on a main thoroughfare and on one of the great highways between the coast and inner Asia. So it was very um, important, and it uh, it, it was in charge of or commanded one of the most impressive and one of the greatest highways in the world at the time. A lot of people passed through Philadelphia. Uh, Doing trade and doing lots of things And there was a lot of of intelligence A lot of of, um, educated people there as well She was also known for her beautiful buildings And frequent earthquakes Interesting here how earthquakes are associated with beautiful buildings (laughs) Because earthquakes destroyed the city a few times But every time it was rebuilt More beautiful than it was the prior time so it's interesting what was the church in Philadelphia like we don't have much information church actually on the church other than what's given in the passage we have read in, Re- in Revelations but apparently the church was small in comparisons to the others we've spoken about we're not giving the details as to why but at the time of the writing they didn't have a lot of strength they must have been beaten down a little bit but yet they were faithful in that they didn't they didn't deny the name of Jesus. They, they didn't give in to the pressures of whatever was around them. They didn't give in to the compromise of the world like we saw many of the other churches did that we spoke about that Jesus wasn't pleased with. How they compromised. That's the church of Philadelphia, even though they were strong or small and weak, they didn't give in. They didn't compromise and they didn't deny the name of Jesus. So that's important to them. It's important to us today. It's important that we have to look at size as not the big deal. And it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Did I say it right? All right, thank you. What does the name Philadelphia mean? It comes from two Greek words. One is philos, meaning love. And the other is adelphos, which means brothers. So put them together, it is the city of brotherly love. And, um, you know, this church means a little something special to me because it was my Uncle Bob's name of his church, Philadelphia Church in uh, Texas. And I went down and uh, spent some time with him and helped him. Helped, uh, them. They were building a new building there, and I spent some time in college there. And, and, it, and it was the Philadelphia Church. And so the name Philadelphia means brotherly love. And uh, that means a little special to our family because of my Uncle Bob and his pastoring there. Let's talk about what Christ, how he, would, how he described himself. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Now Jesus declares himself to be holy and true. What great words that go together. Holy and true. If there's anyone that ever walked the world that, de- that could declare that of himself, it was Jesus to be holy and true. And for all of us that that call ourselves Christians, to be Christ-like, we're also to walk that way in holiness and truth. See, one can't be holy if they aren't true. One can't be holy if you don't walk in truth. And if one is true, one if walking in truth, that is the first step of holiness. So we're to walk that way, aren't we? We're to follow Jesus' example and that we are to walk a true life and then a holy life. Jesus also identifies himself as the one who holds the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus identifies himself consistently with Scripture. He's actually quoting a passage in Isaiah here when he says this. If we look in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah years that Isaiah wrote years and years before this when Isaiah said this. He says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. It's important that we know that Scripture always backs up Scripture, doesn't it? That what we read in Revelations probably is somewhere else in the Bible, and it supports it. It never con- contradicts it. It never conflicts with it. It never brings confusion with it. It always supports Bible. It always supports other scripture. What do you suppose is so important about the statement that Jesus makes about himself when he says, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open? What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you to, when Jesus says, what I open, no one can shut, and what I shut, no one can open? Okay, He's the one that opens, the one that draws. What else? Who, who else can give me something? What does that mean to you, Scott? Complete authority. Complete authority. Amen. In control. Ownership. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Those are just exactly the, some of the words I was thinking of as well. That, that Jesus ident- himself, it identifies himself as the ultimate gatekeeper of all mankind's doings. Nothing happens unless Jesus opens the door or nothing happens when he shuts the door. He is in complete control of all that. And that, that gives me great comfort to know that I'm lined up with Jesus when he is in complete control. No matter what's happening in my life, no matter if I'm spinning wildly out of control or if I'm walking down the path totally in control for the moment, my, my, my allegiance is to Christ and he is totally always in control and he's the one that opens and shuts doors and opportunities that gives me a lot of that gives me a lot of comfort to know that i'm teamed up with the all-powerful one and so are you if you love jesus the key of david is a key of authority the spiritual key of the house of david has to do with the promise that god made to david concerning the messiah as david is king christ is the messiah and that, again, lines up with prophetic scripture. Jesus opens the doors of heaven for us, the treasures of heavens for us, and he makes them all available to us. Jesus is the provider of all things. What he opens, he, he opens, and what he closes, he closes. What's the condition of the church? Look at Revelations chapter 3, verse 8. I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Once again, we see Jesus knowing all about the church. In all the passages, Jesus says, I know your deeds. In all the letters to all the churches, I know your deeds. Jesus sees us whether we want him to or not. (laughs) He's always vigilant. His eyes are always open. open, And he always sees our, our actions and our deeds. And he sees not just the obvious on the outside, but he sees inside of us. Then he goes on to say, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. There again, now he's described himself as the gatekeeper, but now he says, I have placed an open door before you that no one can shut. So what does that door mean? See, strategically, Philadelphia was placed by the Greek king to be on the road that would allow them to evangelize or to spread the Greek culture into Asia Minor but here Jesus is taking this strategic placement of man and saying I have a different purpose for that because now I'm gonna open the door of evangelism to you Philadelphia to now evangelize Jesus Christ so what man had intended to do Jesus says I'm gonna one-up that I'm gonna take what you intended for your purposes and I'm gonna use it for my purposes because I'm opening the door for evangelism and I'm opening the door for mighty things to work through you now I wonder, when I went through that, I, I, I just wonder. I, I can look back in my life and I can see how plans, how, the, how I've made plans to do certain things. And I thought they were the right plans to make. And I was all gung-ho about them. But God had a different idea. Does anybody else, can you identify with that? Have you ever gone down a particular path thinking that, Man, I've got this thing figured out and I know exactly where I'm going, only to find that when you got there, God had something totally different for you? <laughs> now let me, let me ask you a question which plan was better yours or his and can we be happy in his plan can we be happy and can we be fulfilled knowing that he has put us in the place where we thought we were going to do one thing but he has us doing maybe something totally different and can we be happy there can we be, can we be fulfilled there or are we discontent thinking that no I want to go back and do my thing well, I, I would hope that we would see that Jesus' plan is better. He's got a little better viewpoint of things than I do, and you do. See, an open door is often used biblically for an evangelistic opportunity, meeting an opportunity for us to share the gospel or the good news of Jesus. There's other scriptures that talk about that. If you, if you open your Bible or turn or read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, Paul is saying to this, he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me so there Paul is saying that I'm going to stay in Ephesus until the day of Pentecost or until the feast of Pentecost because the Lord has opened a door for effective work for for him to do in Ephesus more evangelism for Paul to do Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 and 3 devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains chains. See what God opens, the doors that God opens, he opens for specific purposes. He doesn't make mistakes, he's not a god of chance, he's not a god of luck, good or bad. He opens and closes doors specifically strategically for his purpose. And when he opens a door, it's to spread his gospel is to spread more good news about him to the world around us that need it so badly. And then when he closes the doors, understand that's also good for you. It's also good when God closes the door. Many times we'll kick at the goads when we see a door closed. Many times we'll get angry at God and say, God, no, I wanted that door open. If we would only understand that his idea of an open door is better than my idea of an open door and when he closes the door don't argue with them don't look for a shortcut don't look for a way around it just say okay God thank you for sparing me of something that would have been devastating for me I don't know what that is maybe someday you'll tell me what you saved me from when you closed that door but rather than getting angry at God and that door closed could be many things right It could be health issues, it could be a job opportunity, it could be financial, it could be lots of things. But we are better off if we recognize that when God closes a door, he closes it for a specific reason, for a specific purpose, and we need to be good with that. It kind of reminds me how God opens doors and how we we shouldn't kick against the goads as, as the way that Paul was Conver, Saul was converted to Paul on the Damascus road. In Acts chapter 26, verse 14, we see the story. It says that, this is Paul speaking, we all fell to the ground and I, Paul, heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, maybe we don't know what a goad is. But a goad is a sharp pointed stick or something that is used to pride an animal. And it's something to spur it on And to encourage the animal to do what you want it to do And so when I envision what it's like to kick against a goad I, it, it sounds like it would be painful If I'm going to kick against a sharp pointed stick It's not going to be to my benefit <laughs> I think I'm the one that's going to get the short end of the stick on that one If I kick against a goad It means that instead of the goad being used to prod the animal I'm kicking against a goad Or I'm, I'm inflicting pain on myself And when God closes doors or when he opens doors, whichever way you look at it, if I don't want to go through that door or if I want to bust through the door, I'm basically hurting myself. I'm kicking against the goads. It's better for us to recognize that God has a better plan and he knows his plan. And it's just wise of us to go along with his plan rather than try to figure out our way to make our plan happen in spite of him. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? But yet, the Holy Spirit uses the goat on this. He does. And it's just wise of us to take the hint and move accordingly and not fight against it. As Jesus opens these doors for us as a church or you personally, let's not let's not kick against the plan. If God's going to move us in a certain direction, Let's just move with Him. And let's willingly and joyfully jump on board. And and let's just get involved. Let's totally jump on board His plan and and move with Him and not against Him. And then Jesus goes on to say, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept My word and have not denied My name. Boy, that word little just pops right out at me. Little church, little strength, little resource, little little ability, little anything in the hands of God can be amazingly powerful amazingly powerful God does not need my bigness for him to accomplish things he needs my littleness he needs my surrender he needs my giving him all that I have no matter how big or how small it is because he will multiply it and will magnify it and I'm, I, I can't go think I can't help but go back to the example that we're given back in Matthew chapter fourteen verses seventeen through twenty one we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish jesus said bring them here to me and he directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people they all ate and were satisfied isn't that cool and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So that could have been anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. Isn't that amazing how God takes something little and can do mighty things with something little? When God is in control and when we recognize that and when we willingly give him what we have, To use and to multiply He will make huge things happen And very productive things And very beneficial things happen The church in Philadelphia Was not the biggest or the strongest church Yet it was one of the churches One of the two churches That Jesus was pleased with Bible teacher Vance Havner Says this about this passage It's not a matter of great strength Not great ability But great dependability Samson had great ability, but poor dependability. A little strength faithfully used means more than much strength flashily and fitfully used. What a great word for us today that we would recognize that, that God uses the little that we have. When God is in control and he's given the authority to be in control, he does mighty things. Amen. If that little boy that had the five loaves and two fishes, what would have happened if he says no? No. That's my lunch. What would have happened? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. We would, in fact, we wouldn't read about it in Scripture. (laughs) It would not have been used as an example because Jesus wouldn't have taken it from the boy. The boy had to willingly give it before Jesus could use it. So to us, (laughs) thanks, Mosey. So to us today, if we don't willingly give the little that we have, God can't use us. So it's so important that we don't sit back and think, well, I can't do enough, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm not good enough to, to, to do everything, so therefore I'm not going to do anything. If that, was the, if that would have been the little boy's perspective, if he would have said, no, I don't have enough food to feed everybody, therefore I'm just going to keep it to myself, and I'm going to have my own little lunch, then he would have been the only one satisfied. But as a result of his obedience and his willingly giving what his little was to Jesus, over ten to fifteen thousand people were satisfied. Big difference, isn't it? When we give God the little that we have, he will multiply it and make it huge. And that's what we need to recognize out of this little story here. The strength, the little strength that the Church of Philadelphia had, Jesus wasn't about their strength. He was about their weakness, and he was about how they were faithful in their weakness. Another Bible teacher, Dr. Donald Barnhouse, has this to say, Some churches and some people that claim great faithfulness to the word of God, or the word of Jesus, deny his name, deny his character. They represent the manner and style of Jesus as something very different from what the Bible shows. See, we can... We can deny Christ or we can choose to not deny Christ with our littleness. He goes on to say, The church of Philadelphia is commended for keeping the word of the Lord and not denying his name. Success in Christian work is not to be measured by any other standard of achievement. It is not a a rise in your position. It is not the number of new buildings which have been built through a man's ministry. It is not the crowds that flock to listen to any human voice. All of these things are frequently used as yardsticks of success, but they are earthly and not heavenly measures. Amen? So what God is saying, little church, I can use you. Little church that's tired, I can use you. Will you just give yourself to me? That's us, folks. This is us. We're a little church in a little community, but God can do great things out of this church. He can do great things out of you personally. He can use you to accomplish much in the kingdom if you will just willingly give what you have to him. What was the rebuke that Jesus had to this church? Nothing. He had nothing bad to say about them. So we'll move on. He had nothing bad to say. The command that Jesus gave them, let's read on in chapter uh, 3, verse 9. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I love this part because what I see here is that Jesus is our vindicator. Jesus is the one that is going to bring justice to the world. Jesus is the one that is going to um, come to my aid in the end and say and and vindicate if I've been true and if I've been holy and then for those around that are rising up against me, Jesus is going to be my vindicator. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to defend myself. If I and you will persevere to the end in faithful service and humble obedience. Very important that we understand our, our condition here. We're not to be the ones to get proud and haughty over our rightness. We are the ones to be humble and obedient and, and faithful in our obedience to Jesus and then let him take care of the vindication. It's his job. It's his role. So be sure today, if you're going through a situation... If people are mocking you or jeering you or just plain ignoring you, don't worry about it. You just stay holy, you just stay true to the word, and you just love them, and you just keep living for Jesus and let him take care of it. The problem that we have is that many times we want to get in the middle of it. Yes, I'm guilty, I know that, and I'm sorry, and I'm trying to be different. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Well, Paul speaks to the Romans, and he tells us this. Romans chapter 12, he tells us some really good instruction. Beginning at verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Three things. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then he goes on in verse 17 to tell us more instruction. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, can we just not read that and recognize that it's not mine to avenge? I have no worries there anymore. He also goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Hmm. It's so important that we understand that, that Jesus is the one that will be our vindicator. And that he will be the one. See, many times I believe that we think that we can be our own judge, we can hold our own court, and we can get a little piece of him on earth and then let Jesus finish it off in heaven. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Even though it's as tempting as it is to be right, sometimes we can be so right we're wrong. And it's better off that we just say, Jesus, I'm just surrendering my heart to you. And I'm just going to let you handle it. And please help me to see it that way. And please give me love and give me patience and give me endurance for those people. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. Um, But let Jesus be the avenger. Amen. Then he goes on in verse 10. To more encouragement, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, this is interesting, and I want to be careful here because um, this can be interpreted a couple different ways. Most, many scholars indicate that this is a prophetic reference to the the messianic woes or the great tribulation, that Jesus is going to deliver the church in a pre-trib rapture, that he is going to remove the church before the tribulation. Some would look at this same verse and say, well, no, what this says is that it's going to be a mid-trib rapture because he's going to keep us in the process of being tempted. So, I don't want to make this about that. I, I don't want to argue with anyone regarding mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib rapture. The point is, we're going to be raptured. The point is, if we're not raptured, you're going to die. <laughs> the point is, you're going to have your own personal rapture. So let's not worry about that. Let's not, let's not get hung up over the details. But let's just understand that, that He is going to keep us From the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the world, the whole purpose of the tribulation, whether we're here or not here, the purpose of the tribulation is to test the inhabitants of the earth. And the inhabitants of the earth does not refer to the church. The inhabitants of the earth refers to those that reject the church or reject Jesus. He will test them and he will bring them uh, great distress as a way to... um, still lovingly woo them, lovingly want them to be saved even if they've missed the rapture or are in the midst of the great tribulation. The point of this for the church today is guys, be ready to be raptured at any moment. Be ready to be raptured at any moment. At the same time, be ready to go through severe persecution because I'm not sure which one you're going to come through. But just be ready, be expecting, be looking, be prepared to know because he will deliver us if we are expecting that. If we're looking forward to that, he will deliver us from the hour of testing that's coming. Verse 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus says, I am coming soon. He is coming soon. And I know that we've heard this so much in, in our churches. We've heard it so much about the, the coming of Christ. And it's coming to the point where it's actually maybe even hurting the cause. Because people have heard it so much that they don't listen. They don't hear it anymore. But that's not true. That's the enemy just sneaking in trying to steal away the crown. Don't, don't let him steal it. Don't let him come in and take away your anticipation. The devil comes in only to steal and to destroy but Jesus says, I have come in that, I, that, that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus says, hold fast. Hold fast to what you have. Because I know, I know you have little strength. I know you're tired. I know. And guys, you're only going to get more tired. As the persecution comes, just recognize the fact it's only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. And Jesus says, but I know you. I know your deeds. I know you have little strength, but I'm pleased because you have not denied my name. Just don't deny the name of Jesus in your tiredness. Hold fast, be patient, endure the days coming, and he will be the avenger, and he will rescue us, and he will take us out of this time of testing. There is no consequence for disobedience, again, because there was no rebuke. The promise to overcomers is given to us in verse 12 and 13. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Amen. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, our promise is that of stability. He says that he is going to make us a pillar in the temple. What does a pillar signify? A pillar signifies strength, stability. I'm not going to waver. There's not going to be any frustration. There's not going to be any more doubt. Not going to be any more questioning. A pillar is strong, unmovable, unchangeable. That's what we're going to be like. We're going to be made that in, that in that way because Jesus is going to write his name on us. He is going to declare ownership of us once and for all that nothing can ever shake that again. Right now, you and I may be shaken a little bit in our faith. Right now, there may be things that might come a little bit and shake you a little bit. And, and you might question your stability. You might question your strength. But that's okay. Understand who is our strength is Jesus. And as we depend upon him, he will make us like him, a pillar of strength forever and ever and ever. And he will write a new name on us. He will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Jackie, if you would come. What Jesus is telling us here, guys, is that when we struggle... Understand that we are not our own. He has bought us with a price. And that price is redemption. That price is eternal life. That price is eternal security. That price is stability. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening around you that's bringing you all kinds of headache and grief today, he says, I am going to make you a pillar and I'm going to write my name on you and I'm claiming you forever and ever and ever again. God is faithful and he's true and he's holy and he's unlimited and um, when we recognize that then many things happen to our benefit. Amen. So let's just wrap this up tonight. Today the whole purpose of this message to the Philadelphia church is that again they were the under God like we are the underdog. We're small and it's not about numbers. It's, about, it's not about size. It's about us loving Jesus. That we would just come in and just say Jesus I'm willing to give you all of who I am the littleness of who I am, I'm willing to give it to you so that you can multiply it, that you can get the glory for it, not me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about this church. It's about Jesus Christ. And as we dedicate our heart to him, wholly give it to him, he will bless and he will multiply and he will get the glory for it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, how you multiply and how you are in charge, how you open doors and how you close doors, and how you are in total control. And, God, that gives us such great peace and confidence to know as we walk through our day, as we walk through our our life, knowing that you are controlling us, as we faithfully love you, as we are holy and true as you are that you are watching our path. And we, we just want to thank you for that. And we want to bless you in Jesus' name. Jesus. Now let's just lift your voice if you're comfortable and just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jackie, lead us in this song as we, as we celebrate and as we thank the Lord for his purpose. That we do honor you Jesus and we feel, we're so thankful for what you've done we're so thankful for this day thank you for this word that you've given to us Lord let us go to our homes encouraged today knowing that you are on our side knowing that you have our back and that you are you have a plan for us you're opening doors you're closing doors you're moving us you're you're, you're directing us through our life help us Lord to re- rejoice in that and help us to know that, that you love us unconditionally and we love you back